listening to a special presentation of World Footprints, the leader in socially responsible travel and lifestyle, with your award-winning hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, coming to you live from the French Quarter Festival in the magnificent city of New Orleans. And now, without further ado, here are Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And everybody, we're letting the good times roll, and thank you for joining us for this next hour as we continue to bring you the sounds and energy during our sixth annual French Quarter Festival broadcast live from New Orleans. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, along with my husband Ian. We're hey, in- folks. <laughs> <laughs> We're enjoying another wonderful visit to New Orleans, and it sounds like French Quarter Festival is really getting kicked off right now. Um, if you can Streets hear the sounds. Streets are filling up. Yeah. And if you haven't heard me say it before, and you'll hear it, you know, hundreds of thousands more times, we love this city. Indeed. And... As we kick off this uh, second hour here, two of our guests who have left the political jungle of Washington for a better life here in New Orleans, James Carville and Mary Matlin, will join us a little later. And before we get to them, we're going to explore an interesting organization with our next two guests, uh, kind of at the forefront of indie films or that underground film scene. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, New Orleans is a lot of things to a lot of people, and there's truly something for everyone here. And in addition to being a festival in sports town, New Orleans is considered the Hollywood of the South. Um, and there's a, a new um, program here, film festival, television show, I believe, and um, that uh, has really just taken off. And we are lucky to have the two co-founders of uh, Time Code NOLA, Jacqueline Schulman and Randy Perez, joining us today. And they're going to give us kind of the scoop on uh, Time Code and the, and the entertainment industry uh, in New Orleans. Jacqueline and Randy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks Thank for you. having us. What? So, so tell us, Guy, Jack, I'll start with you. What is Time Code NOLA? Time Code NOLA is a nonprofit film collective. We've actually been in New Orleans for the past 10 years. We just started our first big annual indie film festival last year. Mm-hmm. And we are actually working with the French Quarter Fest this year. This is the first time that they're doing a cinema portion of French Quarter Fest. And they came to us to program and put together screenings highlighting local films on New Orleans and greater Louisiana music and culture. I know. I was really uh, surprised. I was sitting around reading the um, Offbeat, and I came across a little blurb in Offbeat about your participation in this year's festival. I didn't know that until this morning. So that, that's great, because you're, you're keeping you know, the stories alive by, you know, through this, this forum. Yeah, it was really great. All of our screenings were packed yesterday. We did everything from Cajun Mardi Gras, Zydeco music. Um, we had a piano player's film with Professor Longhair, Toots Washington, and Alan Toussaint, which was huge. Tonight we're going to have a film on the Mardi Gras Indians, Bury the Hatchet. And there's been a lot of people from out of town coming just to really understand what all these different music and culture is. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it gets blended together. Mm-hmm. People get confused and it's just a, a good history and a good way to come and see this and then go out and enjoy the music even more with a better understanding of what you're listening to. Right. Now, Randy, we've been learning uh, about the vibrancy of the uh, entertainment uh, 
industry here in New Orleans through film, through music, and so forth. But I think it would probably surprise some folks that New Orleans is this indie film mecca in a sense and your organization reflects just how prominent it is here how surprising is it to to folks to discover what's going on with indie films here in new orleans um i don't know if anybody has really decided to to discover it yet (laughs) so well today's the first day perhaps i mean uh it's it's uh it's it's great that the the industry is here the hollywood south I'm from New Orleans. I'm born and raised in New Orleans. Mm. So to me, that's a little bit of a slap in the face. That's sort of, I mean, when we started this, we started, they didn't have, we had like one or two movies a year, like big movies. And now there's like a movie on every corner. There's like a ridiculous amount of, uh, of uh, pilots and, and other things and TV shows that are, that are coming. That's great. We have an industry. We're able to, a lot of guys that I know from New Orleans left to go to L.A. and New York. Now they're able to come back. There's other people coming in. That's great. But as far as like being a backdrop, it's you know we want to be able to tell our own stories. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's I mean that's really why we we started Time Code. But it's also a thing where I feel like a lot of people get caught up um, get caught up in in just doing you know working. And so we always like to push people to remember like hey you got into this to make a movie or you got into this to, to you know tell, tell a story. And not just you know not just a trade and apply those trades to make movies. And 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 I and I certainly hear hear what you're saying about New Orleans as a backdrop. But you talk about some of these stories, some of this uncovered part of New Orleans. What are some of those things that are coming out through your efforts at Time Code in terms of telling some of these stories that the world may not know about? Uh, a lot of my docs, like a doc, documentaries, um, like Aaron Walker's uh, uh, Bury the Hatchet, which we're going to show today, which is a Mardi Gras Indian story. I mean, that takes time. I mean, that, that, that film basically started before Katrina and followed uh, four Indian chiefs all the way through Katrina, going back to their houses for the first time, finding their Indian suits, um, you know, rebuilding their houses, and then figuring out what they were going to do the first Mardi Gras after. I mean, those, those types of films, like, you have to really put time effort and you can't you know i mean you have to just follow it you can't just come in and like uh like the bp spill katrina you saw a bunch of people coming in from other cities and they would come in for like two weeks and then they would leave and they would come back and for two more weeks and they would leave but you don't really new orleans is so difficult to penetrate like you know you could go out and see music and all of those things are great but uh but to really really penetrate you have to live here and have to understand it indeed indeed you know it just struck me that uh not only we're you know raising awareness um and sharing our love of new orleans we're we've actually become a little forum for networking and in between you guys i want to just want to introduce because we you know a fellow actor um, Terrence Rosemore from the HBO series Treme, who has been an unsuspecting co-host <laughs> with us all day. Um, but you know, Terrence, do you have anything to add to to what Jackie and uh, Randy have said? No, he hit the nail on the head. I mean, I've I've been blessed because I've been able to have make a living in Hollywood, but also still do my independent films and my okay. my indie stuff. That's you know from the heart, the passion of it, and. Um, it's funny because, ironically, I, I don't know if you remember, I met you a couple of months ago. Uh, you guys were shooting with Don Bartholomew on the corner of um, 
Dumaine yes. and um, what is it? Um, uh, Durbany. Du- yeah, Durbany. Yeah, where you at? Yeah. And, um, and Corey Fortune. Which, which shows Sunday, Sunday, by the way, at, at the French, French Quarter, Quarter Fest. Fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Time Conola original project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, they, they, it's, it's funny because on my to-do list is uh, to hit, I have hit Time Code Nola. Uh, I got, there you I got, go. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got my start in indie film, and I'm still an indie filmmaker at heart, mm-hmm. and, and always will be because that's where the true storytelling and the artistry of, of that medium lies. And I agree with everything that Mr. Perez says. <laughs> Indeed, Jackie, I want to ask you t- talk a little bit about the mechanics of the uh, the festival itself. You said you just held your first one, I think, last year, and so when when I see Film Festival Two, that means number two, not that there's two actual different competing. French Quarter festivals or, or film festivals, I beg your pardon. But talk about the submission process and, and how indie producers who are out there listening can participate in uh, in your film, film festival. Okay, so just to clear anything up, it, it says film festival at the French Quarter Fest. That was um, films that we curated to put on at the old U.S. Mint just for this weekend, mm-hmm. highlighting Louisiana music and culture. But we have been doing screenings for the past 10 years through Time Code NOLA all over the city. So we have our, we started our first big indie film fest, a four-day event that was last September. That was FF1. And now our second one is FF2. It'll be in September of this year. Okay. And if you go to our website, signcodenola.com, we have on there the submission process. We have all different categories, documentaries, feature films, short films, skateboarding videos, Super 8, old home movie filmmaking. We have all different types of genres and mediums and formats. So you just go on our website, you can go through the submission process, and it's open to anyone to submit. So, so there's no there's no time limits. There's no you know genre specific for a different. Well, know. there's different categories when you go online. We're going through without a box, and we have all different categories you can pick. Some of them blend through different categories. Some are just student films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the categories are really for organization. It can it can span any kind of category or medium or format. We just need to to be able to keep track of what to put in there. But yeah, it's basically any kind of film. Now, one of the things that that we are seeing here in New Orleans is just how inclusive so many of these new things are becoming in terms of bringing in young people. Talk about what's happening with the young people here in New Orleans in terms of participating in film and how Timecode is actually building a bridge to perhaps some of these forgotten populations here in the city. Well, the one thing I would say is... For years, even before the industry was here, they had a good infrastructure for kids as filmmakers because we have uh, organization, other no- organizations like Novak, which is a New Orleans uh, video access center, which has classes uh, for kids and, and teach them movie-making skills. Um, we also have um, the University of New Orleans, which is a state school, um, which has a, a, a great film program, undergraduate and graduate. So, uh, I mean, if you really were slick and you knew what you wanted to do early, you could go to Novak, you could go to NOCA, uh, New Orleans uh, Center of Creative Arts, um, which has a great program. Aaron Walker, the guy that made Buried a Hatchet, teaches there, <laughs> is also a UNO grad. Um, and you could literally go from, in high school, you know, during the school year, go to NOCA, during the, during the, uh, the actual summer, go to NOCA, I mean, uh, Novak, and then go right into undergrad and be making movies for eight years or so. The thing I think is is the key component that needs to happen is 
um, a lot of the trade schools, and this goes into a different direction, but a lot of trade schools where, where guys used to be able to learn mechanic, uh, mechanical uh, things or welding or things like that, like there's a lot, of, a lot of those trade schools went away. And I think it would be a great opportunity to get a kid that might not think that he's going to go to college to learn to be a grip or an electrician and be able to come out with a real job that you could, you could raise a family and raise them well. Yeah, I think it varies for project. I, I see, uh, I've been getting many opportunities to audition. I've been getting them all, but I mean, I've been, you know, all the large major movies that have come through. Um, and also, too, for low, lower budget movies, I think there are incentives that SAG has uh, negotiated with the producers. So, for example, if there's a, a low, like I just did a low budget, and one of the leads, they, I, I, I'm not exactly with the language of it, but I think when you do an ultra low budget, you, you have to dedicate a certain amount of uh, slots for minorities or females or something like that. Um, and, I, and I have to, you know, research that. But, uh, but no, man, it's, you know, again, um, it just depends on the story and what are the needs of the story. I, I do see more uh, f- females and minorities going, on, go, going in for uh, major parts than I did, say, 20 years ago when I started in the industry. As we wrap up with uh, Randy and Jacqueline and Terrence here, there's just such an incredible energy uh, that I feel here. You know, coming from a place like D.C., you know, we're in the federal city and things kind of get stayed. But here there's an incredible energy that I, I, and I'm understanding why doing film here is so exciting and just being part of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's, We've been, I, I don't know how, I mean, you're from here, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so I mean, we've been doing this before, and then all of a sudden, like, the industry popped up around us. We, this is what we wanted to do. This is, this is what, what our calling was, and then all of a sudden, we could get jobs. <laughs> it's like, this is great. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been awesome. And not only that, just the rebirth of the city. I mean, there's so many people coming in with ideas, and it kind of woke up a lot of people that were here going, wait, 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 we're not going to let you come in and do this. You know, we can do it too. So, so hopefully that's that's uh, what happens. Randy Perez and Jacqueline Schulman of Time Code Nola. We thank you so much for being with us on World Footprints. And when we come back, James Carville on the other side of this as World Footprints continues from the French Quarter Festival. Experience China like never before with World Footprints. Introducing Footprints in China, the newest World Footprints Discovery Tour. China is a place that everyone is talking about. It's a country where the history of the world's oldest continuous civilization collides with modern society. China boasts some of the most magnificent wonders on Earth, but is so much more than the sum of its parts. Footprints in China was designed by World Footprints to offer an authentic and experiential travel opportunity. Book your Footprints in China tour today and leave positive footprints by helping to support the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Book before May 1st and save $250. This trip is limited to 24 travelers. Visit worldfootprints.com or call 800-556-7896 for more information. Experience China like never before. Call 800-556-7896 today. Oh, thank you, man. You 
are one of the baddest dudes on the planet. Oh, you know it. Come on. Oh, you know that's true. I appreciate that. I'll take that as a huge compliment. Uh, coming honestly, I saw you last year at the Hornets pep rally, and, uh-huh. I, and I was I thought I saw James Brown before oh. me. It was so bad. Thank I you. mean, bad. Well, you know what? And you did a move, and I thought it hurt me because I thought I don't do splits anymore. You know, so I, I'm pretty sure I saw well, you going down. I still have a few years. Oh. I don't know how much. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> You're listening to World Footprints exclusive coverage of this year's French Quarter Festival live from the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana. Let's welcome back your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. <laughs> And welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick as we are coming to you from Tableau here in New, or- New Orleans, Louisiana during French Quarter Festival. And we're so happy to have our next guest, James Carville. When you mention the name James Carville, Washington politics almost immediately comes to mind. A key force in the election of Bill Clinton to the presidency in 1992, James Carville is one of America's leading political consultants and on-the-air commentators. This native Louisianan, born in the town named after his paternal grandfather, Carville, is a best-selling author, actor, producer, talk show host, speaker, restaurateur, and commercial spokesman. When he's not doing all of these things, he serves as a political science professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans, where he lives with his wife, Mary Madeline, and their two daughters. And by the way, did I mention that he and Mary were co-chairs for the host committee for Super Bowl 47, which returned to New Orleans after an 11-year hiatus. James, welcome to World Footprints. Well, thank you, Ben. Good to be here. Well, hey. Good to be spending some time with you this morning. Indeed, indeed. As one of the leading civic ambassadors for New Orleans, your home since 2008, why is New Orleans such a special place to you? Well, because every every other place is defined by its quality of life. Uh, if you live in Washington, where we lived, it was a stunningly wonderful quality of life. You had like great park system in, in, in Washington. You were served by the airports. You had world-class museums. You had the Kennedy Center. You had major league sports. You had universities, medical schools. I mean, it's a really a, a staggering sort of quality of life in Washington D.C. And every other place sort of talks about its quality of life, and they're actually like people who can give you a total, and they, 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 they can assign so many points to it. The thing that differentiates New Orleans from every other place in the United States, maybe every other place in the world, is no one ever speaks of a quality of life here. Everything is about a way of life. And mm-hmm. if you stop it and you think about it, we don't really live so much as in a city as we live in a culture. And it's a it's a it's a easily identifiable, recognizable culture that that if you 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 know you hear the music oh that's New Orleans music you see the food oh that's New Orleans food you see a carnival crew oh that's New Orleans you see a, 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 a New Orleans funeral you immediately know that you see the wrought iron the architecture it all becomes identifiable as a as a larger and a significant nuanced deep culture and so that's the thing that separates New Orleans from every other place. Our way of life is our quality of life. Mm-hmm. And and you seem to embrace that, that, that Cajun culture. I mean, you, you've embraced certainly your nickname, the Raging Cajun. 
How did you come about that? Who gave you that nickname? You know, it was a, it was a reporter in 1982. It was a woman reporter, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I think her name was Marge Fisher, and I think she worked for the Roanoke newspaper. I was doing a race in Virginia. That was the first time I think it ever appeared in print. <laughs> but I, I, it's, it's kind of become a that, that's the best, to the best of my recollection. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're you're very passionate and, and fiery personality, so I see that how that fits. Um, but you know, as as a native Louisiana, and, and you know, I mean, you grew up in a town named after. Your grandfather. Yeah, we call it a place more than a town, but we're going to say a stop sign. <laughs> <laughs> but you were probably the most popular kid in school uh, because of that too. But how how is New Orleans different for you, having grown up there? I mean, we, you, you know, New Orleans is a place that really just grabs you. I can't articulate why it certainly has grabbed us. But how does right. that? happened to someone like yourself who grew up in in the area well there's an expression down here that says it gets all up inside you hmm. is what the way that it's described here that you know you always gets all up inside you i think after the events of uh 2005 i i, I came to understand i'd, I'd participate in this culture of this culture used it abused it and and, and for granted that it would just always be there and that I could take it on my own terms when and where I pleased mm-hmm. and it, it, it dawned on me that this entire thing was very fragile that any any culture in itself is always under attack uh, and, uh, and and we're also under environmental attack. Uh, every, every everything you can. The, the the continuation of this culture was very much in doubt uh, in late 2005 and well into 2006, even 2007. Hmm. And I felt like it, it didn't dawn on me over a period of time. It dawned on me that I had a, a obligation to become, if you will, a culture warrior. And not, not a culture warrior in Fox News sense, but a culture warrior in terms of, of, of preserving this. And, and it thought that uh, my family would have a role to play in helping preserve this. And I think that would really sort of drew me to it. A lot of cities are in our national consciousness because of crime, poverty, and a host of ills. New Orleans does have its share of problems and challenges, but it also has such a reservoir of goodwill that I think you've spoken to that allows it to overcome some of these things, as evidenced by the 8 million-plus people who come here each and every year. Why do you think that's so? Well, look, uh, we, we, we have and have had uh, problems galore, and, and certainly poverty has always been a of the hallmark of, of New Orleans. It is, unfortunately, it is. And, and I, crime is a problem. It, the, 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 to be more accurate about it is we have a, a gut-wrenchingly, uh, what I would call, immoral murder rate among young African-American males. Uh, and our mayor, and I know I've been work, been trying to, to, to help on this. We've seen some improvement. It's far too high. It is, it is a terrible societal problem that we have here. 
uh, we're not denying it. We're trying to deal with it. We do have a crime problem, but our crime problem is no worse than you would expect of a, of, of a, of a city with our demographics. But we do have a, a, a problem with these young people uh, uh, killing each other at an alarming and, and, and I think, a, a, a immoral rate for, for the rest of us that live in the city. We, I think we're obligated to try to do something about it. What gives you hope that New Orleans is turning the corner? You look at where we are today compared to where we were five years ago. I, I, we had uh, what gives me hope uh, on the day before the, the the events of 2005. We were 809 restaurants today. We're probably 1,350. There are more street bands. The, the, the music come out of New Orleans. The people who know this tell me it's at an all-time high in terms of its creativity, its quality. We're a leading city in the United States in terms of brain gain at the kinds of people that are moving in. We're one of the five best places in the country to start a business, which has traditionally never been the, the, the case. We have honest, dynamic political leadership in our city right now. The, maybe the best we've ever had, maybe as good as any city in the in the country. Uh, there's been a, a recognition that uh, our entire culture is 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 you know, has to be protected and not only protected, but it has to be advanced. And, and, and you, you, you keep hearing that. You, you can't go anywhere where somebody's not wearing a flirtily or has something in their front yard or their car. Level of civic pride here is at an all time high. Uh, you know, we have billion dollars in hospital construction going on here. Our park system is, it rivals cities of three, four million people. Uh, our, we're becoming the, the, the num- maybe number one destination in the country for big sporting events and cultural events. So mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of things that, there, there are a lot of things that give me you know great optimism about life here. Well, we know you're a, a big sports fan, and you and Mary were co-chairs of the Super Bowl host committee for Super Bowl 47. And certainly, by all accounts, New Orleans did a fantastic job. And I personally thank you for rolling out the purple and gold carpet for my Baltimore Ravens, and uh, they had a fantastic time there. Steve Bashotti donated two Harleys to the New Orleans Police Department down there. Uh, What was that experience, what was that like for you and... Just it was a, that spotlight back on New Orleans again. It, it was really, it, it was really a special thing, and, and I, I thought it was kind of appropriate that Baltimore and San Francisco, in kind of both cities, are a little bit like New Orleans, and that they have their own culture and their own way of doing things. And, and you know, it, it, uh, Baltimore, you know, New Orleans doesn't want to be Dallas, and Baltimore doesn't want to be Washington, and San Francisco doesn't want to be L.A. We're quite content with who we are, you know. <laughs> And uh, I, I, I thought it was kind of appropriate, kind of appropriate teams. It turned out to be a, a, a really good game. It was a great uh, weekend, and you know, but we got many other things that we're going to be working on. Our big focus is going to be on the 2018. Is going to be the tricentenary, the 300 anniversary of the city of New Orleans, and hopefully we'll get another Super Bowl back. I think the NFL is very favorably disposed to us, but there's a lot of competition, so you, mm-hmm. you, we're going to have to work real hard to try to get that back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're very excited about it. And we know the 208, uh, I think it's January the 9th, January the 8th of 2015, is going to be the 200th anniversary of the Battle of New Orleans. And uh, Baltimore and certainly have some uh, reference to the War of mm-hmm. 1812. 
Uh, actually, the battle was fought in 1815 after the peace treaty. It wasn't fought in New Orleans. It was fought in Chalmette. But what the hell? You know, we, we can airbrush a little history along the way, and we'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have to share with you, just, you know, for the sake of full disclosure, Ian and I have adopted New Orleans as our home away from home. We, we love the city. We travel there uh, every year for French Quarter Festival. When I, I talk to people who live in New Orleans, I, I like to get a sense of, you know, where the locals go, what the locals like to do. And so as a local, what is some of your favorite places to, to dine and to get entertainment? Right. I, I uh, First of all, at, at, I'm beat 69 in October, so I'm probably not the best person. But, but what New Orleans has more than any other city, and you can, there, first of all, in terms of the music, there are more street bands now than they've ever been before. Quint Davis told me, who, who runs the Jazz Fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And, and I know during the, the, the Super Bowl, there were 180 live music venues. Now, in this fall, I guarantee you there'll be 125. I'm just, a, 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 probably way more than that. Uh, and, and there are uh, you can go to any any of the hotels or have a list of them. Uh, there's a, a publication that they're where you at. They're different sites. You can get them anywhere. To take that list of bands, you might want to do a little bit of research before you come down here. Uh, and I don't want to like recommend. Uh, I, I know that my friend Irvin Mayfield has a jazz club on Bourbon Street now, which is I've been there a number of times. The music there is really yeah, good. We're big fans of him. He's been on our show down in New Orleans. Yeah, he's in. Uh, in, in, I think it's really good that we've brought you know real jazz back to to, to Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things. Uh, and, and, and you know, one of the, my favorite questions. This is a question that amuses every New Orleanian. Is sometimes people say, you know, I'm, I'm coming to New Orleans. I, I don't want to go to French Quarter. I want to go where the locals go. Mm-hmm. My answer is, well, this is one local that goes to the French Quarter, <laughs> and I see a lot of my friends there. But I, I don't. I, yeah, I, yeah, you're right. The locals don't go unless they're going to Gallatoire so much. At, you know, the one through five hundred block of Bourbon Street. But there are, there are a lot of really cool places in the French Quarter. Uh, the whole music scene and the the, the Marini and this, the, you know, all the young people tell me is something. What, what, what I would suggest people do is like research some of the dive bars in New Orleans. We don't like anything new here. Hmm. So if there's not a a bar with a you know a dog with three legs sleeping in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean in a in a in a, in a dirty bathroom. We're not too interested in it. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and, and there's a lot of those all around town. Right. And you know to, to get a car or a taxi or something and go on a dive bar, you know, in a dive bar call. Uh, the other thing is is a new streetcar line. Uh, is the the, the the Canal Street line? Mm-hmm. You can take it out all the way to City Park and mm-hmm. go to uh, there's a morning call, which I think is the best coffee and beignets by far in the city. They have a great place out there at City Park now. Uh, you can go out there and have some coffee and beignets, ride the streetcar. Another thing I'd highly recommend is take that Canal Street line. It's the red line that goes right right Canal Street. Get off at like I think like the thirty seven hundred block. Mm-hmm. And walk, uh, what I'd say, toward the lake, walk, uh, 
and there's two great local restaurants that are block a couple of three blocks off of it. Uh, one is Katie's. That's one of my favorites. Another one's called Liuza's. And if you're really industrious, you can go on Justin Davis Walk up the Justin Davis Parkway, probably be a seven eight block walk to Parkway uh, Bakery, which is the po' boy shop that President Obama went to. Okay. Uh, and, and and you can do that all off all off the Canal Street line. I I think that whole Canal Street Mid City area is is underappreciated sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing prettier than taking the St. Charles line, you know. Uh, going uptown, uh, a place right off of that I'd highly recommend is a Creole Italian place called Vincent's, which is probably like the 7,500 block of St. Charles Avenue, way, 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 way uptown. But it's Creole Italian. It's very, very neighborhoody. It's kind of my neighborhood. I go to every Sunday night. It's kind of neighborhood mm. hangout. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's very good. Uh, and they're open for lunch. Uh, Kind of every day, but Monday I think, and open for dinner every night. Uh, well, these, these are great suggestions, and I've been taking. Other, there are a lot of places you can, you know, you can walk off the line and go to uh, within the my house in Uptown New Orleans. We once counted there like twenty four Zagat twenty five or better restaurants. That doesn't count the French Quarter or Central Business District, right? Like that. Uh, hmm. I love Manali's, which you can take to get off at Napoleon Avenue and walk toward the lake three blocks and. Boy, the oyster bar now. Most most locals think the best oyster bar in the city. <laughs> well, you know we're. But, we're don't, but don't, don't 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 again. Like I say, is don't. It, and also, there's nothing better than walking around the corner, the, the court in the morning when the light hits it. Mm-hmm. Just it's just it's, it's gorgeous. Don't uh, don't underestimate the, the the sort of beauty and in uh, in uh, again not the. the don't think so much the one to five hundred block of, of Bourbon or Royal, but you know, think, you know, think go go back there. It's a lot of really cool, neat places in the, in, in the French Quarter. Mm-hmm. Are mm-hmm. Really worthy of exploring, and don't fall for the thing is, oh, Jane, under the locals ever go here. You know, <laughs> yeah, a lot of, I do it all the time. My, my kids love to go to it. Hey, let's go to French Quarter night. Great, wonderful. Well, I hope we we right see now, you. Doing a French Quarter fest, it's going to take some. You got to have well, a strategy to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. No. Well, I hope yeah. we we see you moseying around the French Quarter one day when when we're down there. We'll be down there a few oh, times well. this year. But well, um, see you. I, I, yeah, I want to I want to kind of go outside of the borders of New Orleans. I know you're spending some time with us before you embark on a trip to Argentina. Uh, is this a leisure trip, or are you going no, for political? No, I have class. For going. Okay, okay. Class. Is there is there when you travel, where do you like to go? For, for just you. Well, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. This sounds like my kids say all Dad ever wants to do is go to Italy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, I love quite. If I, yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to Indonesia in May. Okay. Looking forward to that. Uh, I've done. I've worked in 22 different countries. I guess I've, one of the cool jobs I've ever had is I worked in the Seychelles. That was a lot of fun. Hmm. Uh, I've worked in Afghanistan, probably not the most glamorous destination I've ever been to. Uh, I like almost every place. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'll tell you a place I love going to summertime, Canada. Mm-hmm. That's one of my <laughs> favorite countries, too. That's cool. Canada's a very cool country. Yeah. Mexico is one of my favorite. I, I, you know, I, I like, I, I love Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just 
very I mean, well, how can you beat it? I mean, it's got, you know, the, the steak down there is like better for you than the chicken here. It's all grass-fed. There's no any, you know, it's just all natural. And there's, and there's Italians everywhere. So you got a lot of a lot of cows in Italian. So guess what? You got great, great leather goods. Absolutely. You got great Italian food. You got the best, healthiest steaks in the world. How, what's that not to like, man? Oh. <laughs> well, you know? Hey, you know. And you got you got counter counter circle weather. <laughs> so it's just, it's fall. It's October down there now. And you don't have jet lag. Ah. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Just yeah. Pop up. You know your your favorite sleep aid on the on the plane, and you just you sleep on the plane, and you get there, and it's like this time of year, it's actually daylight savings. I think it's one hour different than Eastern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So you don't have you don't you don't have jet lag. You got counter cyclical weather. You got great food. You got. Coach, you got art, you got everything. All right, James Carville, we thank you so much for being with us today on World Footprint. I love, love being on the show. And when we return, we'll talk to the other half, perhaps the better half of this Carville family, Mary Matlin, who shares a mutual love of New Orleans with her husband from the other side of the political aisle, next as World Footprints continues from the 30th annual French Quarter Festival. Discover a country rich in history, culture, and wonder in the throes of monumental change, China. World Footprints is pleased to announce our newest discovery tour, Footprints in China. From November 2nd to the 15th, we will take guests on a magical exploration that fuses history with the contemporary. Walk in the footsteps of emperors in the Forbidden City. Hike a spectacular section of the Great Wall. Experience architecture with a feng shui master. And stand face-to-face with thousands of terracotta soldiers with a leading archaeologist. Footprints in China was handcrafted by World Footprints to introduce you to the best that China has to offer. A portion of the proceeds from this tour will help support the efforts of the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Visit worldfootprints.com or call 800-556-7896 for more information. Book before May 1st and save $250. Call 800-556-7896 today. places around the world that you go and you just enjoy yourself, but there's nothing in the world that touches me like home. Charmaine Neville is an activist, an educator, <laughs> and she's fine. Oh, 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 and he's and so and he is smooth. Okay. He, he is, is smooth. And married. <laughs> and married. And she's fine. <laughs> this is New Orleans, baby. Let's not get into the marriage. This is New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some other things you can get when you come to New Orleans, baby. We're a free society, baby. You're listening to World Footprints, exclusive coverage of this year's French Quarter Festival, live from the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana. Let's welcome back your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. When you think of Republican politics, one of the names that always surfaces is Mary Madeline. Having served under President Ronald Reagan and both Presidents Bush 41 and 43, Mary is one of America's most celebrated and popular political consultants. But she's also a celebrated author, 
television and radio host, speaker and commentator, mother and wife. She's married to that cute Cajun guy from the other side of the aisle. Politics aside, Mary has left the Beltway and is now leaving a legacy of positive footprints in her new home, New Orleans. She's been named a distinguished lecturer of political science at Loyola University, and Mary is actively involved with a number of charitable organizations, including the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra. Mary and James were most recently named the 2012 New Orleans of the Year, and this dynamic couple showed bipartisan cooperation at its best when they co-chaired the New Orleans Super Bowl 47. Mary, it's a pleasure to meet you here, and thank you so much for joining World Footprints today. Well, thank you, Tanya and Ian. It's uh, my favorite topic, New Orleans. <laughs> favorite topic in the world. Uh, ours, too, oddly enough. Um, and, and, you know, first I want to congratulate you on a wonderful Super Bowl. We are so proud of our adopted home of New Orleans, and even happier that our team, the Baltimore Ravens, won. Were, were you a Super Bowl fan or, or a football fan before the Super Bowl? Well, when we first moved down, the many miraculous things that happened um, within a year or so of our being there, had nothing to do with us uh, being there, of course, was the Saints winning the Super Bowl, which was as amazing as the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. Uh, But I I appreciated that Ravens victory a lot. It was really, they earned it, and it just, um, but we, the Super Bowl in New Orleans, which was a tenth, our tenth, there's only one other city that's tied for tenth, um, we want to get another one, and we want to break that tie, but we wanted it to be not just a Super Bowl, we wanted it to be a window on our world, if you will, to show the world, the country and the world, how, what can happen when people come together with purpose and resolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the people call it the comeback. I don't call it comeback. I'm saying push ahead because we're not just rebuilding, recovering. We're way advanced of other cities, I would say, and certainly better than we were while maintaining our, our charm and our culture and everything that you, you all love about New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Now, you've made New Orleans your home since 2008, but I, w- I want to go back a little bit and ask how a nice girl from the Midwest and as a fellow Midwesterner were made were salt of the earth. But how did you find yourself in the thick of politics in the Beltway and where did your love of politics come from? I grew up in South Chicago in the steel mills. My mother was a hairdresser and my daddy worked in the steel mills. I'm the oldest uh, and, and ethnic. I'm Croatian and Irish. I was the first granddaughter of the first son. So I was kind of raised to not only with that, the Midwestern values, but the immigrant values of working hard for what you want. And then my dad didn't make any hit, any gender distinction. Just so I could be praised to think I could be anything I wanted to be. So I had a, a certain, I'd look at, back on it now, a certain what some considered impulsivity at the time, but mm-hmm. I considered it a fearlessness. So, um, that when I went away to college, um, I I've got a three eight or three nine or whatever. But I mean, I like to read and I like to study. But I really like to work. And the and the, the camp there's a campaigns and elections class, and I. It just loved it. I just, it was love at first sight. My first job was to be the back end of an elephant in the Lincoln Day Parade. And I loved that professor, and he subsequently left teaching 
to work on campaigns, so the, the rest is history. But I'm philosophically and dispositionally a, a constitutional conservative. You know, the Republican Party is defined and redefined and relabeled and branded in lots of, you know, close-in fights. But the bigger picture is, um, that attracts me philosophically is... Uh, constitutionalism, federalism, and or you know, the Catholic subsidiarity and solidarity, the combination of what makes free people work best together for their families and their communities. So it all, it's all of a piece to me, and I loved New Orleans. You know, growing up in Chicago, it's kind of, we're kind of exotic there. You know, we have ethnicities, and we have food, and we have art, and we have genuine eccentrics, and I say that in the most loving uh, and, and gracious and complimentary of ways. So, uh, when, long before I met one raging Cajun, I loved <laughs> New Orleans, and I loved coming down there when, uh, and, and it was, the, the climate was so different from Chicago. <laughs> and it just was, it was like, I just, it was so exotic, and it was so, the people were so memorable, the, and the art, just everything. It's a sensory bombardment, and we got married there and I said well, let's get married here and then we always kind of you know we got back every time every chance we could have and of course we were um actively involved in the Katrina post-Katrina mm-hmm. uh, at the engineering failure as my husband calls it and it was an act of fearlessness I have to say or impulsivity but I I to move the kids when they were 10 and 12 that was my I was not fearless about that but I presumed that they would adjust and love it as, as well as I and uh, I might have overreached there that was, that was kind of young for them to be moving but they do love it so mm-hmm. it was a bit of an adjustment. Well, that's certainly the important thing that, you know, it's it's about the family. And you've touched on how central New Orleans has been to your personal life, your professional life. And I know it surprised some folks when you and James picked up and left uh, Northern Virginia, D.C., and headed on down to New Orleans, uh, despite some of the challenges in that city. Uh, talk about what some of those reasons were and and how New Orleans just resonated with you that this is the right move to make at this point in our lives? Well, if you're a person of faith, which I am, um, so nice you just had to open your heart and open your mind and listen to what your heart is telling you. And it just it just felt right. We weren't running away from Washington or running away from politics. We're still involved, uh, deeply involved in national politics. But um, there, uh, you mentioned in that lovely introduction the presence that I've worked for, and I worked for Vice President Cheney in the 9/11 White House war. And you know, I just had been there for 30 years, and it was it was. Um, Distracting for the kids, you know, they were, one's a liberal, one's a conservative, they're highly opinionated, gee, I wonder where they got that. And then, they, so that's one, the liberals always answering for Cheney, and the conservatives always answering for the Clintons. They said, no, this is not what I want my kids to think politics is. So we weren't running away from politics, we still love it, but I wanted a less transactional environment for the girls to grow up in, and a more... Um, in the sense of all their senses being cultivated and stimulated by the 
you know, it's so beautiful there that you just the smells, the sounds of the church bells, or the streetcar clacking, or the the street music. The architecture is unique in all of the country. The climate is fascinating. I mean, I just love the climate. I love everything about it, and they've they've really really flourished there, and all their friends love coming there. So it just it all it all worked out. In in fact, you you describe New Orleans as kind of a, a you know a spiritual experience, and and I understand that I can't articulate why, but it's that type of city that just really touches your soul. In in, in, two, in two ways, I'll tell you, because I, I I've thought about this a lot. That when we first moved down there, and it still was a mess, a big mess. Okay, everywhere. Just as a, as a politician, as a practical policymaker, everywhere I looked, I could see the impact of the work of the church. The church was involved in everything, from getting people back up on their feet to food to all the traditional things. But there, the the support of the Catholic community and its convening capacity uh, relative to all the denominations, all the, the faith. Uh, based operations there, you could just see it, and it's it, so it was um, from the practical impact of the work of the church, as opposed to the blah 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 New York Times version of the church, which always you know, was not complete. Mm-hmm. Then um, you add to that the literal beauty, and everywhere you turn, you see the face of God. You see the hand of God in the work, and the face of God in the. In the foliage, in the, the air. I mean, you could smell it. You could taste it. I mean, that my, when we moved there this summer, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced night-blooming jasmine. Oh, my God. It's like walking through perfume, and the, and the air is so... Uh, it's not humid. It's like moisturizing. All of our skin is improved. <laughs> our hair is a mess, but our skin is, you know, it's just that everything was like a gift. It's, everything felt like the, the hand of God, the face of God, a gift of grace. And I, it's very, very, uh, you know, God gave us all these senses to use them, and they are in hyper use in New Orleans. It's just beauty and truth. That's that's what it is. Mm, that that's a wonderful description, Mary, and I, I I truly appreciate that. You know your 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 explanation, and, and I mean it helps put things into perspective um, for me also as as a person of, of faith. And and you're so right. You know, and you've really immersed yourself in New Orleans, and I love that the, the work that you're doing with um, the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra, you know, Irvin Mayfield is a friend. He's been on our show before. We we love him. He's a true jazz artist. Talk a, a little bit about what you're doing uh, with the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra and, and why that selected organization has become a focus of yours. Well, we met Irvin and Ron Markham were, were one of the first people we met. But before I even knew where it was, when Street Day was on, I was tuned in WWOB. I mean, I just flocked to it. I just found it and haven't changed the dial since the first night I was there. And I love the music. I love the indigenous nature of the music, the originality of the music. And I love Irvin and, and Ronald and the whole gang. But I didn't. I don't really do much except support them and talk about them and 
try to, I mean, it's Irvin and Ronald are the killer workers. You know, I mean, they get it. They're so, both so creative and competent and inspired and inspiring. And to the extent they are not just providing the access to that unique music to listeners from all over the world, they are maintaining the heritage by uh, keeping keeping the old masters together and connecting them with the the young students. So uh, he's just and they're and they're great, wonderful people. I'm, I'm not surprised that he's a friend. And 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 Ron Foreman is the chairman of the board, and there's some great people on the board, the Goling and Packer and a bunch of them. And they're just really, it's just you know they leave, we follow. So they're right of scaring Ginger Rogers on this. They're just, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. And as is, I'm, I'm also doing work with the uh, the Water Institute, which is a new um, repository in Central Clearinghouse for Coastal Restoration and the Nature Conservancy, Conservancy, which all fits together. So, mm-hmm. you know, we got to preserve not just the heritage, but literally the land, um, which is a unique state all around, not just New Orleans. So, it's but it takes it takes work. It takes people doing it. It's not gonna, the government's not going to do it. Yeah, and it's and it's just good to know that those are bipartisan things that. Uh, we can wrap ourselves around regardless of where we stand on the aisle. Um, One of the things I wanted to get a sense from you is that you travel so much and you get a chance to come home to New Orleans uh, with James and the family. And when you guys are home, where do you like to go in New Orleans? What are some of those places that have become your favorite places to see when uh, you're home? Well, first, let me say this. We were kind of, you know, we're older parents. I had them at 42 and 45, and they, when we moved down there, they were 10 and 12. So I didn't doubt our decision for us. I, I just wanted it to work for them. So every time we'd get off the plane in New Orleans, no matter where we were, and we do travel all over the world, the minute we would walk outside uh, MSY and smell the air, I'd turn and go, right decision, Good decision, bad decision, go good decision and high five. I mean, it just really was the, the right decision. And we like that it's impossible to pick a favorite place because they're all favorite. And I've, you know, however many years we've been there now, five, six, which you get. I never fail every single day to see something new. I mean, it's just so much to see. I, but I guess our favorite place is our own house. We love our home and, you know, this favorite churches as we go to St. Stephen's and such, but it's just, I you can't, it would really be, um, but that's the beauty of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. There is no one fabulous, perfect, you know, repeat place. There's just endless, endless succession of, of loveliness. You know, you're you're absolutely right. This will be our sixth consecutive year coming down for French Quarter Festival, and every single year we have new guests, we have new eateries and new attractions. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think when I'm 90 years old, if I God you know blesses me to live that long, um, we'll have new things to to talk about on on World Footprints in in New Orleans. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about your latest book, Letters to My Daughter. Um, your book made the New York 
York Times and Washington Post bestsellers list. I, I love one section, a uh, sentence in your book where you're talking to uh, or writing to the girls and saying, you know, you're 50 something year old whose body is being hijacked by hormones. And you tell the girls, if you don't believe me, ask your dad. <laughs> what is the premise for this book and what inspired you to write it? Well, my own mother died young, and we were very, very close, and it was devastating to me. And I, I, I just wanted not. I wanted the wisdom of her, and also my grandmother. The wisdom of the ages of women, but in particular, my mother was a special person. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be not not to be morbid, but I, I wrote that the year after the year that she died, that same age, and I just wanted I I just wanted them to have those little uh, things of wisdom. I didn't intend for it to be a bestseller. I didn't care if anybody read it. It was just kind of a forced discipline to make me finish it. Otherwise, I, you know, I'm always writing letters to them and such, but I, I put it together in a book form, and it's that translated into all kinds of different languages, and yeah, people, have, uh, mothers and fathers have come to really like it, and for daughters and sons, and it's not an advice book or anything like that, it's just what's in, in my heart, mm-hmm. in my mother's heart, to give to her grandkids, so that's that was the inspiration, and I always said, I don't like writing books, we're about to embark on writing another one, I write longhand, I always say it's like giving birth without an epidural, but that one, um, and I, and when I'm done with the book, I shut it and I never read it again. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful gift that you gave, uh, not only your daughters, but everybody, and Mary Madeline, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today on, on World Footprints, and we hope we get a chance to see you on one of our visits down to New Orleans. Well, thank you for loving New Orleans, and it's every year, every minute, it gets better and better. So, rock on, let the label sound relay. Hey, hey, let the good times roll. <laughs> Take care, my dear. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Ian. Coming up, as you all know, FestiGals conference in June, and I'm uh, actually giving a diva discussion. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, our friends just left, uh, Chad and Jerry, and I thought they would have been great Cabana boys because Ian refuses. Um, <laughs> but, Kelly, you know, this is FestiGal's third year, and, it, and it's growing each and every year. It is. You know, there's a, a woman in New Orleans named Diane Lyons. She's an event planner and has done that for decades. And she said, you know, she loves to see women, meeting planners and business travelers come to New Orleans and then say, I wish I could come back and have a girlfriend's getaway here. Mm. And Diane said, you know, we have festivals to celebrate the French Quarter and tomatoes and Zydeco music and oysters and every other thing you could imagine, but there's no festival to celebrate women. And she created it, and it's called FestiGals. And it is just the most fun combination of inspiring diva discussions like what you're going to give, an insider look at New Orleans culture, great keynote speakers. Last year we had Hoda Kotb. It's in June, amazing weather, great girlfriend's getaway trip uh, for anyone who's out there listening. So Festy Gals in New Orleans in June 20th. A great empowering weekend. Absolutely. A lot of networking, a lot of good things happen in New Orleans. 
Well, you guys, this unfortunately is another wrap for this year. We're looking forward to next year as always. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the two hours, the time just goes by too, too quickly. But uh, we greatly appreciate you um, staying with us today and, and for joining us during our sixth annual French Quarter Festival broadcast. And we look forward to continuing the party with you on Facebook and Twitter. But until next year, we'll see ya. World Footprints is pleased to introduce Footprints in China, our exclusive tour to the Middle Kingdom. Travel with us November 2nd to the 15th as we explore Beijing, Xi'an, Guilin, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. This trip is limited to 24 travelers. A portion of the proceeds from Footprints in China will support the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Book today and save $250. Call 800-556-7896 or visit worldfootprints.com for more information. We look forward to traveling with you. Call today, 800-556-7896.